Well, it is good to see everybody this morning. Uh, when it starts snowing on a Saturday, I never know who's going to be here on Sunday. So, hey, you, uh, you, you fought through it. Really good to see you this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, I've been preaching through the book of Acts. We're now in Acts chapter 10. We're going to be covering verses 24, uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 24. We're going to read all the way through Acts 11, verse 18. So pretty big chunk this morning that we'll read. And we're not going to put these first verses on the screen, so you'll want to have a Bible. It was just too many slides for me to make. Uh, So you don't have those, so make sure you have a Bible in front of you. Uh, and just thinking of Advent here, just to push it, to position Acts with Advent. In Advent, we're actually looking at, 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 in this season, we're looking at the two Advents of Jesus. We are looking back at his first coming, and we're thanking God for when he came as a baby in humility. But we're looking forward to Christ's second coming when he comes in glory and power. Uh, and so in between these two Advents is where Acts falls. Uh, Jesus, when he came the first time, he, he lived, he died, he rose again to pay for the sins of the world. He then ascended back to heaven. And Acts then covers the events that happened after Jesus ascended to heaven. And, and, and during this season of, of Acts here, during this book of Acts... It, it covers the initial spread of the gospel, the good news message about Christ as it began to spread. And the good news is that this gospel message of Christ is going to spread all the way around the globe, Jesus promised. He said that this gospel of the kingdom would be proclaimed in every nation and then the end would come. Then his second advent will come. So here in this season of Acts or of Advent, we'll stay in the book of Acts. We'll look back to his first coming, but we'll also look forward to his second coming. So we're going to start reading here in a second, Acts chapter 10. We'll actually start reading in verse 23. That'll probably help everything to make sense. Let's pray here as we get going this morning. Well, Father, we do just thank you for an opportunity to open the scriptures this morning. What what an absolute privilege this is to have the word of God. And Father, we just base our hope on what you have given to us here in the word of God. And so, Father, as we open and we just dive into this text, we just trust, Father, that the combination of your Holy Spirit moving about this room and your word, you will do amazing things in our hearts. So we just rest on that now. Power of the Holy Spirit, the power of your word. Father, have mercy upon us as we open your scriptures this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let me just kind of set the context here for where we are in the book of Acts. I haven't been in the pulpit lately. Uh, So we have arrived here in Acts chapter 10 and 11. We have arrived at one of the most monumental moments in all of Acts. As the gospel, the, the good news message of Christ now begins to penetrate into the Gentile non-Jewish world. Then Jesus said that this would happen back in Acts 1.8, just before he ascended back to heaven. Jesus told his 12 apostles that they would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. 
Or, in other words, they would tell people about Christ, not just in Jewish areas within Israel, but they would ultimately tell people about Christ in non-Jewish Gentile territories, in foreign nations. They would move out towards the ends of the earth. But here's the thing in the book of Acts. In order for Christ's original apostles to carry the gospel to the Gentile world, well, they would have to cross a major ethnic barrier because the apostles they were all raised as jews and at this point in history jews and gentiles they they just didn't mix there was no association between jews and gentiles there was this massive ethnic barrier it didn't originally start like that Back in the Old Testament, when, when God first called the Jews to be his people, well, well, God called the Jews to bless the Gentiles of this world. But many Jews just became self-righteous, and they thought God's calling of them somehow made them better than the Gentiles of this world. And instead of blessing the Gentiles, instead of leading the Gentiles to God... The Jews separated from the Gentiles and they kept God to themselves. And, and as we saw at the start of Acts chapter 10, which you looked at a couple weeks ago, as we saw there, one issue that kept Jews and Gentiles separated at this time was the Old Testament food laws. When God first called the Jews to be his people, he gave the Jews these food laws. He said certain animals were clean, they could be eaten by the Jews, but other animals were unclean, they were forbidden for the Jews. And it was just one of the ways that God set the Jews apart from the other nations in the world. The Jews were called by God to be his holy people, which means set apart. They were supposed to look and act different than the other nations in the world. They were supposed to stand out, and the food laws definitely made them stand out. Those food laws marked them out as Jews, and those food laws did make fellowship with Gentiles a little bit more difficult. They ate different foods. It was difficult to associate socially. But the problem over time was that the Jews, because they followed these food laws, they ended up thinking they were intrinsically better than the Gentiles. They began to see the Gentiles themselves as unclean. They called the Gentiles dogs. They separated from the Gentiles in ways that God never intended for them to, to separate the Jews, eventually saying things like this about the Gentiles. This is in the Jewish book of Jubilees, just an example of what the Jews at this time were saying about the Gentiles. Separate yourself from the Gentiles and eat not with them and do not according to their works and become not their associate for their works are unclean and all their ways are a pollution and an abomination and an uncleanness. Just this massive ethnic barrier at this time between Jews and Gentiles. And here's the thing, all of Christ's apostles had been raised as Jews. They were raised with this mindset to avoid at all costs the Gentiles. And if Christ's apostles we're now going to take the gospel message of Christ to the Gentile world. 
Well, God would have to push them across this major ethnic barrier. And at the start of Acts chapter 10, God began to do it. Just a reminder of what happened at the start of Acts 10. The apostle Peter, he was in Joppa. And up in Caesarea lived a man named Cornelius, a Gentile. And God sent an angel to Cornelius and told Cornelius, send men down south, find Peter, and bring Peter to your house. And so Cornelius sent three Gentile servants to find Peter. And as the men were approaching Peter, well, God gave Peter a vision. The sheet descending out of heaven filled with both clean and unclean animals. And Peter heard the words, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter protested. He said, oh, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything that was unclean. And then Peter heard the words, what God has made clean, do not call unclean. And Peter then heard a knock on his door, these Gentiles. And Peter knew, he knew at that time that that vision, well, in that vision, God had just declared all foods to be clean. Praise God, Peter can now eat bacon. The food laws were gone. But more than that, Peter now knew that God had also, in that vision, just declared all people to be clean. That Peter, as a former Jew, could now associate with Gentiles. So when the men, these Gentiles, asked Peter to go to Cornelius to visit this Gentile, Peter agreed. And in this passage, Peter now crosses this massive ethnic barrier, and Peter brings the gospel to the Gentiles in a massive way, first time in history, really. Let's go ahead and read it. We'll start in verse 23 of chapter 10. So he invited them, Peter invited these Gentile servants to be his guests there in Joppa. The next day, Peter rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied Peter, and on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him, but Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man." And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you, Peter, at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. 
As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. And with power, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name while Peter was still saying these things. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised or those men who had traveled with Peter, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. Something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened Three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life and you can just see the importance of those events in how many times they've now been repeated by Luke who wrote the book of Acts he keeps going over the same things to let us know how monumental this moment was God for the first time in the book of Acts 
sends an apostle across this massive ethnic barrier, the gospel now penetrating into the Gentile world. There are four main parts to this story as God brings the gospel to these Gentiles. I'll give it to you here in four P words up on the screen. What do we see here? We see pursuit, proclamation, proof, and peace. Pursuit, proclamation, proof, and peace. We'll look at those things in order, and then I'll just end today with a couple lessons I think we can learn from this text. The first thing we see here, as God now brings the gospel to these Gentiles, number one, we see pursuit. God pursues these Gentiles. God pursues them. Peter travels here now to Caesarea. I've got a map here for you. He starts in Joppa there, lower left, and he makes this 31-mile trip north to Caesarea probably took 9 to 10 hours, depending on stops. If he has kids traveling with him, it would have taken four days. (laughs) I know. And he's now in Caesarea, this beautiful port city overlooking the Mediterranean. And Peter travels here with these three Gentiles who came to visit him, and also six of his Christian brothers, former Jews. So this group of ten men, and they now arrive in Caesarea at Cornelius' house, and they meet there this crowd of Gentiles. Cornelius has invited all of his friends and family over. The house is packed. It's a welcoming party there. Expecting them, verse 24 says, the Greek could be translated as they were waiting anxiously for them to arrive. And the house packed. Molly and I, as I said a couple weeks ago, we had 23 people in our home for Thanksgiving meal. My brothers and sisters' families in a room not built for 23 people. (laughs) I had a picture I was going to show you. Packed. And you can just picture something like that right here. This house just packed with this throng of Gentiles. And and we can see right away here that God has begun to break down in Peter's mind this barrier between Jew and Gentile because Peter, former Jew, now enters Cornelius's house. A Gentile home which no good Jew at this time would have done. Jews would have considered this house to be unclean, defiling if you entered. A little bit maybe like the caste system in India. Those in the upper castes will, will, will often not enter the homes of those in the lower castes, and they will never enter the homes of those outside of the caste system, the poorest of the poor called the untouchables. It would be way too defiling for those upper caste people to enter the homes of the, the untouchables, a little bit of the way it was here. Jews would not enter Gentiles' home, but Peter enters. And you look again at what he says in verse 27. And as Peter talked with Cornelius, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Peter has probably never been in a Gentile home before. Don't you think this was still maybe a little uncomfortable for him? 
And yet he's been convinced through this vision from God. And he says, you Gentiles, you know how unlawful it is against all Jewish custom. It's against all Jewish traditions, not against the laws of God, but it's breaking all cultural norms. It is taboo for me, a Jew, to enter this Gentile home. But God has shown me in this vision I should call no person unclean so here I am. And, and you know, when you look at this first part of the text here, and really when you look at all that's already taken place in chapter 10, what do you see? You see pursuit. You, you see God pursuing Gentiles. God sending this angel to Cornelius, telling him to send for Peter. God then giving a vision to Peter, telling him to go to visit Cornelius. And Peter goes all the way to this house. It's, it's this pursuit. It's, it's, it's God here. It's, it's, it's as some people would call God the hound of heaven. Pursuing those who are outside of his kingdom. To bring them into his kingdom. God pursuing these Gentiles. The first thing here. The second thing we see here is proclamation. God now proclaiming to these Gentiles through Peter the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, when you really stop and you look at, at this passage here, it's, it's actually a little bit humorous. Because all the way up to this point right here, Peter now standing in front of this large Gentile crowd Peter still doesn't know yet why he's there. <laughs> he doesn't know. He says there, I ask you, now Cornelius, why did you send for me? <laughs> it was three days ago that these Gentile men knocked on Peter's door. And Peter went with them because God told him to. But God never told him why he was going. And he's now made this 31-mile trip, now standing in front of these people, and he still doesn't know why God sent him there. And you know, you, you stop and think about that. Peter's just a great picture of obedience there. He's just a great example for us. I mean, God tells you to do something in his word, and you don't know why. It doesn't make any sense to you. And God just wants you to do it. Just trust and obey. You know, if you have children, that you ask them to do something, and they'll ask you a thousand times why. And if you don't give them a good reason, they think they don't have to do it. And so you wisen up as a parent, and you finally say, why do you have to do it? Because I said so. <laughs> because I'm your parent, and I said. And God just wants us to trust and obey. And it will often make more sense later, and it does for Peter. He now finally finds out why God sent him here. He asked Cornelius, why am I here? And Cornelius says, verse 33, we are here, Peter, to hear all that you've been commanded by God. Tell us. 
Oh my word. I'm packed with Gentiles. Tell us, Peter. We're just here to hear whatever God has commanded you. And Peter now knows God brought him here to share Christ. And you know what? That is often the reason why God brings his people to new places and to new people so they can ultimately share Christ. You had to switch jobs. For some reason, you don't know why, you had to relocate a new city and a, a, a new neighborhood or you, your, your favorite grocery store, God forbid, shut down and you've now got to shop at another grocery store and we often just see the inconvenience. Why, God? Such a hassle to drive across town to go to the Cub Foods over there. But that right there is often why God's sovereignly moving his people in order that they might ultimately meet new people and share Christ. So you can love them and cultivate friendships with them and share Christ with them. And God just providentially moves Peter here to Caesarea, Caesarea and he knows now he's there to preach. And man, you, you just look at what Peter has now in this room. This is a preacher's dream. <laughs> this place is packed full of people and they are all anxious. They are waiting on the edge of their seats to hear what Peter has to say. And they don't have to tell you, but not every preacher gets a crowd like this. I was at a service, a service once. My, one of my best friends was preaching at the time, and a heavy set man was not anxiously <laughs> wanting to hear, and he fell asleep in one of the front rows. And he began to snore so loudly that his buddy beside him finally elbowed him in the side. And I kid you not, he woke up in the middle of this service blurting out, praise the Lord, <laughs> at the most inappropriate point <laughs> in the entire sermon. Uh, not an anxious listener uh, to what the preacher had to say, but man, this crowd here, nobody is sleeping in this room, anxious to hear this is a preacher's dream. And man, you just catch it here. None of these people were Christians yet. Peter has a room full of people who never heard the gospel message about Christ. And to top it off, this is an entirely Gentile crowd. First time in history, a non-Jewish crowd like this had gathered ready to hear about Christ. as a preacher's dream. And Peter, he just nails it here. Man, Peter all the way through the book of Acts, I mean, this guy is just ready in a second's notice to preach when the door opens. And man, you want to learn how to share the gospel with non-Christians? You want to know the main things that you should say? to your friends, to your neighbors, in order that they might know enough to be saved? Well, here it is. Because Peter covers all the essentials here. And what does he say here about Christ? It's pretty simple. Life, death, resurrection, judgment. 
He, 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 he tells people about the life of Christ. If you look at verse 37 again. The life of Christ. He says, you yourselves know, you Gentiles have heard what happened throughout all Judea back in Israel, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John the Baptist proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. It's the life of Christ. And Peter then hits the death and resurrection of Christ. You look at the middle of verse 39 again. He says, they put Christ to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all the people, but to us, to us apostles and other disciples who had been chosen by God as witnesses. We who ate and drank with Jesus after he rose from the dead, which is proved that he was in a real flesh and blood body. Life, death, resurrection, and Peter then hits judgment. If you look at verse 42, and Jesus commanded us apostles to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Man, he just hits all the bases in short order, life, death, resurrection, and judgment. And at the end of his little sermon here, what does he do? Man, Peter does what any good gospel preacher would do. He calls for a response. He calls for a response in light of who Christ is, in light of what Christ did. What should you Gentiles do now? And look at verse 43. He says, to Christ, all of the Old Testament prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And it is a simple call to faith in, in this room. Put your faith in Christ as your Savior. Follow Christ in faith as your Master. And you receive, Peter says, the forgiveness of sins. And man, you, you know the extra great part of Peter's sermon here? Peter makes it crystal clear here in this Gentile room that this gift of forgiveness is not just for Jews. He says several things here to let this crowd know that Jesus is for all people, even for Gentiles. If you look at verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and he said, truly I understand, after this vision I saw, that God shows no partiality between Jew and Gentile, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And the point is simple, God doesn't play favorites. God doesn't play favorites between Jew and Gentile. God doesn't love one race more than another race. He's not partial to Jews over Gentiles. No, God loves all people, and all people now have a free and full access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone and everyone who puts their faith in Christ is acceptable to God. Or look at the little parenthetical statement Peter makes into verse 36. Jesus Christ... Peter says, he is Lord of all. Not just Lord over the Jews, but over Jews and Gentiles. And then just look one last time at verse 43, how he finishes. He says, everyone, everyone, everyone who believes in Christ receives 
forgiveness of sins. He is a Jesus for all people. So that's the second thing here. First pursuit, then proclamation. Number three, proof. (laughs) God now gives proof. Proof that Jesus is for all people. God gives proof here that he has welcomed these Gentiles into his kingdom when he gives the Holy Spirit. It's funny when you look at it. Peter doesn't even finish his sermon before God gives the Holy Spirit. It's in the middle. (laughs) It's another preacher's dream. (laughs) Sunday morning, I'm midway through my sermon here at Peace of Mind, and the Spirit just falls. Bang. (laughs) Roof starts shaking. The, 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 The footprints fall off the wall. I sure hope they do someday. Oh God, please bring those footprints off the wall. It's not even called footprints anymore. Let's put peace of mind on the wall. And they fall and people are weeping in the room, crying out, what must I do to be saved? (laughs) That's a preacher's dream, man. And then you get the tongues and the prophecy and the miracles. The spirit just rocks the house. And that's what Peter got right here. He barely gets the basics out about Christ. (laughs) And he says everyone who believes receives the forgiveness of sins. And God, right then, right there, opens these Gentiles' hearts. And they believe. They believe. We believe. We believe what you're saying. We believe. Right there. No long altar call. No dimming of the lights. Slow music. Let's wait for the Gentiles to come forward. We're hoping they do. No, right in their, right in their seats. Middle of the sermon. They're born again. Faith in Christ. Boom. Bomb goes off. In this Gentile home, Holy Spirit flat out invades the place. You look at verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, the Jewish Christians in the room who'd come with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Exact same thing we saw with the Jewish Christians back in Acts chapter 2. At Pentecost, the Jewish Pentecost, the Spirit fell on those Jews who believed in Christ. They spoke in other tongues, praising God. And this, as F.F. Bruce said, is now the Gentile Pentecost. Spirit now, first time in history, falling on Gentiles, non-Jews, who believe in Christ. And man, here's the thing that you have to catch right here. And please catch this. It's going to be so important later in this text. It's so important throughout the book of Acts. Please notice here that these Gentiles, before the Holy Spirit fell on them, they did not in any way convert to Judaism. They did not first embrace Jewish laws, 
sacrifices. There was no Jewish worship in the temple. No Jewish food laws. No Jewish circumcision. Just a simple faith in Christ. The Spirit falls. And that was proof to Peter and to all these other Jews in the room. It was proof that God had now welcomed, accepted these Gentiles into his kingdom. It was proof that they had now received God's forgiveness, that they had now entered God's kingdom, that they had now been saved just like these Jews through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. A simple faith in Christ. And the Spirit falls. And it was proof. But it shocks these Jewish Christians in the room. Verse 45, Luke, who wrote this, said they were amazed. They were confused, astounded, shocked that the Spirit had been poured out on these Gentiles, and why were they so amazed right here? Because they hadn't first converted to Judaism. That would have been the natural expectation with these Jews, because up to this point in history, God had done everything in and through Judaism. And with all that history, it would have been very natural for these Jews here to think that these Gentiles, if they wanted to be forgiven by God through Christ, well, they must first convert to Judaism. And man, the Jewish Christians, they will wrestle with this thing now for several chapters. Do the Gentiles need to become Jews in order to be saved by Christ? Do they need to follow the the Jewish laws? Do they need to be circumcised? But please notice this. With this event right here, God just nailed a very big no over that question. No. Gentiles do not need to become Jews in order to be forgiven by me. Everyone, God says here, Everyone, he says, through Peter, everyone who simply believes in Christ, Jew, Gentile, anyone is forgiven through faith alone. Now, we know if the faith is real, which we know it is in these Gentiles after the Holy Spirit falls, but if a faith is real, it will then produce things. Your faith will produce things like repentance, If you have a genuine faith in Christ, you will turn away from your sin. You will begin to produce good works. But God just stated here very clearly that salvation is by faith and not by works. You need to first become a Jew to be saved? No. Do you need to eat certain foods in order to be saved? No. Keep eating your bacon and you can be saved through a simple faith. In Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Isn't that great? You know what that is? Justification by faith alone. Justification by faith alone. 
You were declared innocent by God through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Or as the Protestant reformer said, you are, you are saved sola fide in sola Christos. You are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. One of the most important doctrines in all of Scripture. Martin Luther said justification by faith alone was like Atlas who held the Christian world in his hands. And if Atlas were ever to shrug, if we were to lose sight of the doctrine of justification by faith alone, the entire world of Christianity would come crumbling down. Justification, salvation by faith alone. And this outpouring of the Spirit here was proof to Peter and these other Jews that God had just welcomed these Gentiles into his kingdom through faith alone. So that's the third thing here. Pursuit, proclamation, proof. And the fourth and final thing here is peace. Is peace. These Gentile believers now have peace. They have peace with God. But they also have peace with all of the Jewish Christians in the room simply through faith in Christ. Look at the end of verse 36. Then Peter declared, he sees the Holy Spirit fall, he declares, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's just very simple logic here with Peter. He simply recognizes here that God has already, that God has already in this room in one sense baptized these people in the Holy Spirit. And if God has now sovereignly baptized them in the Holy Spirit, proof that he'd accepted them, can anyone, Peter says, can any human being withhold water baptism from them and the answer is no so peter commands them to be baptized and peter then has to answer for it when he goes back to jerusalem you look at acts 11 verse 1 now the apostles and the brothers jewish christians who were throughout judea and israel they heard that the gentiles also had received the word of god so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, some of these Jewish Christians criticized Peter, saying, you went to uncircumcised men, and you ate with them. And, and those Jewish Christians, they're just thinking very naturally that these Gentiles should have first converted to Judaism before they could associate with Jews, before they could be baptized, before they could be saved. So Peter, for the next 14 verses or so in chapter 11, he just defends his actions. He basically just relates to them everything that's taken place in his life. This vision he saw of the sheet, God declaring all people to be clean, his trip to Caesarea, preaching to the Gentiles, and most importantly, Peter tells them how right in the middle of his sermon, the Spirit fell. And Peter ends with this, if you look at verse 17. If then God gave the same gift of the Holy Spirit to them as God gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? I wasn't the one who did this. God did. And I just followed his lead. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? Who was I 
that I could block entry into the kingdom of God to these Gentiles. Who am I that I could do that? And their response, look at verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God. Saying then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Gentiles can now also repent and believe and receive eternal life in Christ, I guess. And F.F. Bruce said that their criticism ceased and their worship began. And these Jewish Christians, they must now learn how to embrace these Gentile Christians as equals. And it will take them a while now here in the book of Acts. They will wrestle with this thing for a few chapters now. Are they our equals or do they need to become Jews? But God just sent a very clear message here to these Jewish Christians. These Gentile believers are your brothers, your sisters, your equals through faith in Christ. And you know what God has just done for these Gentile Christians? He just gave them peace. He just gave them peace. They, they, they now have a new peace with God. Their sins have been forgiven. There's no more hostility between them and God. But they also have a new peace with these Jewish believers. Free gift. You know, some of you may remember 1989 when the Berlin Wall came down. Crazy scene. I, I can remember it. This wall that had separated East and West Germany had been there my entire life. It's all I knew about Germany. I'd seen the videos, the photos of people being shot, killed, trying to defect across that wall. It was just brutal. And suddenly, I'm seeing on the news, November 1989, all these people standing on the wall (laughs) on which they would have been shot the day before, celebrating, chiseling, tearing down this wall. And God just tore down an even bigger wall. These Gentiles up to this point in time virtually separated from God, from God's people in every way. But they've now been carried directly into God's kingdom. A peace with God. A peace now with all Jewish believers. Whether or not the Jewish believers liked it at this point. Through faith alone. In Jesus Christ alone. And Paul sums it up like this, Ephesians 2.11. He says, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Remember that you were at that time alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope. You were without God in this world. But now, In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Christ, is our peace who has made us both one, Jew and Gentile. And Jesus has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility 
that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility between Jew and Gentile. And he came and preached peace to you Gentiles who were far off, and he preached peace to those Jews who were near. For through Christ we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you, Gentile believers, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, with all the Jewish believers, and you all, Jew and Gentile believers, are members of the household of God. These people in this room, (laughs) instant peace, peace with God, no more hostility at all, and peace with these Jewish Christians, which they never had before. All now members of the one household through simple faith in Christ. Man, this text right here is just a monumental moment in the book of Acts. This wall of hostility being torn down by God. God pushing the gospel now into the Gentile world. As we finish here, I just want to give you a couple simple lessons that I think we can draw out of this text. Number one, here's a lesson in this text. Entrance into God's kingdom is by faith alone. Entrance into God's kingdom is by faith alone. Alone, it's just one of the crystal clear messages here. These Gentiles not converting to Judaism in any way or doing anything else for that matter. Just a simple faith and they receive forgiveness. Faith alone, just so important for us to remember today. And to dig your heels in the ground on that point and do not let that doctrine of justification by faith alone come crashing to the ground. Dig your heels in. Because people always want to put some roadblock in front of you before you can be saved. Well, you need to become Jewish first. Which is bad news because I think most of us are Gentiles. You need to start following the Old Testament food laws. Can't eat bacon. You need to follow the Jewish festivals. Or you need to join this certain church. Or you need to do these certain good works before you can be saved. It's always Jesus plus something. And it's anti-gospel. It's anti-scripture. It always says, yes, trust in Christ, but also make sure you do this other stuff. But God right there just said over all of that stuff a big fat no. No, you don't need any of that. Everyone, God says here, who believes in Christ, surrenders to Christ in faith, follows Christ in faith, you have the forgiveness of sins. You have the forgiveness of sins. And please listen, if that's you, you have peace with God. You have a simple living faith in Christ today. You have peace with God. There's no more hostility between God and you, ever. He loves you. You are his child, and you have peace with every other believer, regardless of what they choose to eat or don't eat. That's one lesson here, entrance into God's kingdom is by faith alone. You know another lesson here? Everyone is welcome in God's kingdom. (laughs) You know how people put welcome mats out in front of their house? Welcome. 
Welcome to my house. Or in Texas, welcome y'all. <laughs> or if you're grumpy, your mat says, go away. Come back with donuts, something like, like that. And God here in this text, he basically just laid out the welcome mat into his kingdom. And his mat says, welcome everyone. Welcome. Welcome. Every race. Jew, Gentile, Bulgarian, Croatian, Indian, doesn't matter. You may enter. Or every class, rich, poor, prisoner, free, white, collar, blue collar, you may enter every class of sinner. It doesn't matter what you've done. You may enter freely through faith in Christ. He did it all. You don't have to finish any of it. He did. Everyone is welcome into God's kingdom. You know a final lesson here? Here it is. Everyone is also welcome in God's church, the body of Christ. This text here, like so much of this part of Acts, it's about racism. God tearing down here this massive wall of hostility between races. God uniting here in, in, in one body, people from different ethnicities, giving them peace, not just with him, but peace with one another. Listen, you know one of the reasons why Jesus came? He came to kill your racism. He came to kill your racism, my racism. Ephesians 2, we just read it. He came to kill the hostility between the races. He came to kill in our fallen world this ethnic self-righteousness where we just tend to feel like my race is better than your race. Jesus came to kill the racism. And in the body of Christ right now, with those who call themselves Christians... Christ followers, there can be no racism. It just cannot be tolerated. Christians should be the one group on the planet who look at people from other ethnicities and don't separate from them. Don't move away from them. Don't disdain them, but move towards them. Pursue them. Embrace them. Welcome them into God's kingdom. But sadly, in many Christian circles, racism is alive and well. Do you know that Mahatma Gandhi... Hindu, uh, a spiritual leader, activist in India. Do you know when he shared, his he shared in his autobiography that in his student days in England, he was deeply touched by the reading of the gospel accounts in the Bible about Christ? And Mahatma Gandhi seriously considered converting to Christianity, which seemed to offer a solution to the caste system that divided India. And one Sunday, he attended a church service in England. He intended to ask the minister about salvation and other doctrines in and through Christ Jesus. But when he entered the sanctuary, the ushers, because he was Indian, refused to give him a seat. Suggested he go elsewhere to worship with his own people. And he left and never came back. And he said, if Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. I like the New Testament. I like your Christianity. But I do not like your Christians. Because of the racism he saw, because of the racism he felt, in the body of Christ, Gandhi rejected Christ. So I don't know where your heart is on that issue of racism. I don't know what you've experienced and what's going on inside of you. We all feel it at times. But Christ came to kill it. He came to kill the racism. Listen, in heaven there's going to be no racism. 
It's every tribe, people, language on this earth linking arms and worshiping God together. And if racism exists in your heart right now, you're not going to like heaven. So may God help you to deal with it now and to deal with it seriously. May God help us to open our arms like Christ and embrace people from other ethnicities. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for your help, Lord. Father, we just thank you. Your word just takes us all over to the place, different topics, different things to consider. And Lord, we just ask for your grace. Father, your grace to believe that salvation is by faith alone. Your grace to believe, Lord God, that everyone is truly welcome. Every race, every class, every degree of sinner is welcome in and through Christ. Help us to believe it. And help us to believe, Lord God, that Christ came not just to reconcile us to you, but to reconcile us to other human beings. And I pray, Father, for our church. Pray for every believer here, Lord God, that you would search our hearts and you would eradicate racism. Lord, that just the ethnic self-righteousness that we can have. Help us, Lord God, to be loving, gracious. Pursue people of all races, Lord God, created in your image. You please help us, Lord God. Help us, Lord God. Don't let this pass over our heads and just leave it. Search our hearts now by the Holy Spirit. And Father, where there is racism in our hearts, you shine a light on it. And will you lead us to repentance, Lord God? Will you lead us to repentance, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.